Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm being joined by Jacqueline Boyd. This Chicago native is a longtime aging specialist and LGBTQI advocate. She's also the owner of the Care Plan. The Care Plan is the country's first healthcare management company devoted to LGBTQI individuals and communities. Her passion for health and aging started when she was a certified nursing assistant in college. Working in nursing homes gave her a deep appreciation for the struggles many face throughout the aging process. The switch physical and cognitive changes, the lack of clear resources and advice left many families in the dark about how to best support their loved ones, and at times, guilty for the choices they had made. It was here that the seeds of the care plan were planted in empathy for the pain and uncertainty many clients and their families experienced. It's estimated that over 60 million families are caring for an aging or disabled person at home. At least 80 to 90 percent of the caregivers are women. There's no question that most of the burden falls on women for the physical and financial impacts of caregiving. As parents live longer, more women are feeling the crunch. Jacqueline spent much of her professional career providing for management services in her nine years with a private duty caregiving agency, providing guidance and advocacy for people in need illuminated time, and and again, the need for earlier interventions and planning. A comprehensive approach can avoid common crisis along the path to aging. The CARE Plan is celebrating its second anniversary with its clients and supporters at Affinity Community Services, sharing her knowledge, information, and passion to help others overcome caregiver stress and enjoy your time with loved ones is a care plan. Welcoming today to Collections by Michelle Brown is Jacqueline Boyd. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm doing quite well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, we met um, over a year ago on another show that I was doing, it's called Can We Talk For Real? And part of why or brought us together is just what you do. Um, A good friend of mine, uh, Teresa Adams, was taking care of her mother. Um, I've gone through it. And I know Mm -hmm. that as we move into this time of year, part of the reason I wanted you here is like, this is a time when we sort of kind of come together, you know, and are all our families, either biological or our chosen families, 
And sometimes in doing that, you know, we think about all the traditions and the good times, but sometimes that's a, a moment to sort of like look around and see what's happening, you know, what's happening with mom, what's happening with our partner, what's happening with our partner's family. And like you say, you know, how in, in, about enjoying the time with loved ones. Mm-hmm. You, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you were doing this, um, when you got involved in this, I know that, you know, you studied it, you worked in the industry. How do, how do you, what's the biggest thing that you find that really throws families and individuals for a loop? You know, I think the biggest challenge to having any kind of successful aging or even healthcare experience is a lack of planning. So many families that I work with don't communicate about what their wishes are, what mom and dad's, what mom and dad's wishes are specifically, um, or the older adults in their lives. And there's sort of this veil over aging. Like people don't want to think it's going to happen. And for those of us who have been caregivers, that really does us a disservice because there's so many points along the way where I feel like the families I work with are saying, why didn't someone tell me this? I wish Mm. I would have known this. I wish the doctor would have thought to communicate this to me. And it's not really anybody's job within healthcare systems to be your advocate as a family. So that's the work that we do is we are the independent expert advocate place you can go to really get the, the, a real understanding about what, what can we expect, how do we plan for the future, and how do we make sure our loved ones are as well cared for as they can be. And to, just to share an example of that, oftentimes I've worked with families where maybe mom or dad is struggling and has had memory loss and they don't know where the best facility is to take them or they want to stay in their home. So how do we hire caregivers? There's hundreds of caregiving agencies to choose from. How do we go about that? And how do we get mom and dad to accept, accept the help? There's a lot of issues just in that one question of mom or dad has memory loss. How do we address it? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have somebody who's been down that path before guiding you, you're going to make every mistake in the book, and you're going to feel badly about it. And there's no reason for that. So that's why I started the company, because it felt like so many families were approaching aging from a place of lack of communication and lack of knowledge, and I really wanted to change that. So I would say that's the biggest issue, is people don't, don't talk about aging, and they don't plan for it in the same way that we plan for everything else. You know, that makes so much sense to me, because... You know, I think I've shared with you before, like, my mother died suddenly. And, you know, we didn't talk about it. I mean, it was just like she was to rock. You knew she was going to be around, like, forever. She never talked about, about anything. You know, she, yeah. was, she, just, she just made it happen. And when she died, I immediately got that mantle, you know, with no preparation. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, afterwards, I mean, I found myself one day sort of sitting there, saying, talking to her, saying, you know, Mommy, why didn't you tell me you were trying to do all of this? Why didn't you tell me that, you know, Aunt Aurelia was at this point, place and little nanny was at this point and daddy was, 
was this. You know, it was like, but we right. just, like you said, that communication, we just didn't talk about it. Yep. Absolutely. How? And and it creates more of a of an opportunity for us to feel guilty, which is not how your mom would want you to feel or mm-hmm. confused or anxious, you know, because you don't know. And that mantle is heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, well, you know, and I come and I think about, you know, and how you feel like in hindsight, and that's what mm-hmm. made me think about this time of year. In hindsight, there were little things that, you know, if I had noticed or mm-hmm. that besides were there. When, you, when you're talking to people and they're sort of coming in and not only, you know, like maybe they, they have this one parent and they're thinking about it, as we come together, are there things that we should be, like, looking at, thinking of, not, you know, just sort of, like, grabbing the keys away from Daddy, you know, but to sort of recognize that maybe it's time that we need to put other things in play? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think they're the areas that most people sort of try to explain away or try to minimize, you know. So if you if you're – loved one, your parent, your aunt, your spouse, whoever, was really diligent about something, and then all of a sudden it starts to slack off, that in and of itself is a sign. So for most people, one of the first indicators you'll see is housekeeping. Mm. If the house starts to slide, and that's never been an issue before, there's something going on either physically or cognitively. If you notice some memory loss, and I'm talking specifically about short-term memory loss. Because in, especially in, um, and I'm African-American, in our communities, oftentimes there's a, the idea that, oh, it's normal to lose your memory. It's normal that they won't forget, that they'll forget things every once in a while. That is not normal. And it's a sign that, again, they're probably going to need some help or support that they didn't need before. So those those are really the two things to look out for, and I apologize because there's a there's a fire truck going by me. Uh, <laughs> so sorry about that. That's no, okay. But being aware of the surroundings, paying attention to what's happening with their memory, and not minimizing it, not explaining it away, because oftentimes we aren't spending hours and hours and hours with our loved ones. You know, we might drop off some food or stop it over to check in and make sure they're okay. Maybe we're just visiting for an hour or two at a time. So over the holidays, really paying attention to when you're there for maybe four or five hours for a dinner all day, how often is this person repeating stories? Mm. Are they confused about the surroundings? Are they having trouble getting to if they need to use the restroom or use the phone? Are they having trouble finding those things? Whereas a year ago, they would have been fine. You know, so really noticing sort of stepping back from yourself and looking back at, okay, over the last six months, over the last year, what has changed from how they were six months or a year ago? And and that usually will give you an indication of, okay, we need to have a conversation and, and start to put some things in place. You know, because we're all getting older, as you – as you're talking to people and, you know, and right now you might be looking at mom, but are there things that you try to to tell people, like, you know, how to check yourself <laughs> or, or, you know, because sometimes, especially in the LGBTQ community, 
we might, our family is our chosen family. And where with your biological family, you might see them at the holidays, but we have many people in our community who are living alone. And mm-hmm. how, how do we know, I mean, what should we, we be thinking? I mean, our own care plan. We might not even have, a lot of us don't have kids who are going to come by to check out. It's just us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a couple of pieces of advice that I give specifically for, again, folks who are either aging alone or who are LGBTQ or LGBTQ plus and, you know, aren't sure what their options are. The first is figure out your plan. Absolutely. Sit down, think about how you want to age, consider the things that you have seen in your own life. You know, for most of us, we've seen people age and maybe go into a hospital or into a nursing home or have caregivers, and we have very strong ideas about that for ourselves. But if we never write it down and if we never plan for it, we may find ourselves on that same path. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if we don't figure out what we want, articulate it, write it down, and talk to our family of choice about it, they have no direction and they have no knowledge of how we would like them to plug into our care. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, a, that's a, a really scary conversation to have with yourself and to, and to do it because, you know, none of us want to think of us our, ourselves as old. None of us want to think of ourselves as not being able to do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you, you know, I know and I know that you've seen it and how do you then go to that family member or when someone comes to you and I say, you know, I see where this is coming. I know what you're doing here. How, how do I plan this? How do you help people have that conversation? And how soon is too soon to start to think about this? It is never too soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I am 34 years old. And I have my power of attorney for health, my power of attorney for property, my living will, all of that sort of paperwork, as well as a general care plan for myself already drafted up. My family and my family of choice know exactly what my wishes are. So it minimizes anxiety for me and for them. And if there's ever a health concern, they all know and have been told numerous times what what I want to have happen. So that's really important because even if it's uncomfortable, I think the risk is greater to not talk about it. Because if we're not honest with ourselves and if we're not honest with the people we love, we, we again can burden them with that, those feelings of guilt. Am I doing what my loved one would have wanted? Was it the right decision to, you know, tell the doctor yes to this surgery or to say yes to the nursing home? or to, you know, sell her house. There's so many decisions that are made by our loved ones when we're not able to make those decisions. And they have to have a roadmap, mm-hmm. I think, to be, you're, we will be better equipped as caregivers if there's a roadmap available. So, so absolutely, it's never too soon to do. Talking with someone who's, who, like myself, who's an advocate, where this is what we do every day, <laughs> can be really helpful mm-hmm. because it also, we, at least my agency, we come from a practical place. So 
typically when I sit down with a family unit or a support team, we get all the concerns out on the table. What are the things that you see coming that you're worried about that you, you know, keeps you up at night? And then together we formulate a plan. So having someone like myself where we can help facilitate a conversation that is respectful and focused is incredibly useful because you know how it is with family and friends and family of choice. You have old patterns and you're used to talking from an emotional place. Whereas when you have somebody there who's there to hold the space and get a job done, that's what's going to happen. And it, it, for I would say for all of my clients, the feedback that I receive is that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to talk about it when we talk about it in practical terms. Do you ever find when, you're, when you go into that family unit and they've identified the caregiver, do you ever want to say to the caregiver, by the way, have you done these steps? Yes, <laughs> all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, I do. You know, oftentimes I'll, I'll just remind folks that if this is how you feel for your parents or for your loved one, you deserve the same courtesy. You know, we all worked far too hard and have been independent for far too long to let other people make decisions at the end of our lives. I believe that we all have earned the right to be in the driver's seat until we transition out of this life. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at your page, and, and, you know, there are so many things that, I mean, I tell people often that, you know, I learned it by the, by a baptism by fire to where, and then I saw, thank God somebody is doing it because, like I said, you know, my mother died, then there was my father, then there was his sister, then there was her sister, and it was like a 10-year, almost like a 10-year lost time. And, in Mm -hmm. fact, my, my son has said, you know, Mom, he read something, he said, that was you. He said, it was like, for 10 years, you just lost it. And she said, all you were doing was taking care of people. And you, one of the things that you say is how to take regular time off. And I think that one of the things that I found, and, and I'm, that, that people didn't recognize that, I recognized after my mother died that I was, and like you said, that guilt part, that there was a period of time when I probably should have said to her, take some time off for you. But I also recognize, like you said, we get into this role, and nobody said that to me. How do you get families, you know, because you know it's going to fall on one person for the most part, but how do you get families to recognize that, you know, this is there's no spectator sport here, that sometimes someone has to, to step in, even if only for, you know, a week to give that caregiver a break. How do you make it like a, a team effort? Mm-hmm. Well, there's two things. One is bringing it back to, to areas of agreement, right? Because if we're talking about a unit where it's family or friends, people are going to have their own perspectives and their own priorities as well as their own lives happening. But if you are having regular meetings, even if it's just once a quarter where you sit down and talk about your concerns, how is this person doing, what do we need to change or adjust, it keeps you focused on being on the same team. So if your priorities are we want to keep, you know, say mom safe 
at home for as long as possible. Obviously, you as Michelle, one person, aren't going to be able to do that by yourself. So then it's making sure that people know that the expectation is they'll have to plug in. So if it's, okay, I will visit mom Monday through Friday, and I'll stop over in the evenings after dinner. I'll sit with her for an hour, make sure she took her meds, had food, is doing well, but I need you two to step up for the weekends. So who wants to do what? And sometimes those conversations can be difficult to have with your siblings or with your family of choice or your friends about a loved one. It can be really, really tough because you sort of have to go into like a, a professional mode, a professional work mode. And that's oftentimes when people will call me in too. I'll give you an example, and this is in my own family. My aunt uh, is taking care of her mother who lives in her home with her. And so her mom lives in the home with her and her husband. They're providing care around the clock. They have caregivers in place to, to provide respite periodically. But they also just sometimes need her to, you know, be cared for by someone else so they can be off the clock and rest and come back rejuvenated her siblings weren't responding to her when she said, I need your help. So we got on a conference call, and I was able to walk through all these other concerns first. And then by the time we got to the end of the conversation, it was clear, well, we're all on the same page about her being home, watching the finances, and the reality is that one person can't do it all. So we do need to have everybody else step in. When can you show up? When can you take a week off and come be here? Because sometimes, again, you can't say that to your loved ones and have them hear you. So someone like myself is able to bring a different type of accountability to the conversation. Now, you know, we've come a long way as a community, as an LGBTQ community. I have talked to people who are gay who have said that people didn't recognize their relationships. And it was sort of like, well... You're not married, you know, and so it's your job, you know. Do you find mm-hmm. that now that there is more acceptance of our families, our lives, does that lift some of that burden from the gay community? I mean, or are we still facing unique challenges because we're LGBTQ? We are absolutely still facing unique challenges, and I think that is evident in a lot of areas. You were talking about the caregiving side of it, how the caregiving burden often falls to the person who is LGBTQ in the family, and a lot of times that's because their relationships are minimized, our relationships are minimized, and also we're three and four times less likely to have children. So we're not viewed as having as many responsibilities. So to that point, that in and of itself, the caregiving burden often falls to the LGBTQ person in the family unit. But as we age, we also face different challenges. Um, And those are typically housing, finding housing that is inclusive um, or, or specifically geared towards LGBTQ individuals is almost impossible. There's only one building in the city of Chicago, and that's, that's independent living. So that's not even like a nursing home or an assisted living facility. Um, financially, because we, especially on the, the female side, for 
two-women households, we earn less during the course of a lifetime, so have less in terms of retirement funding and the ability to sort of choose where we want to live. We might be more likely to end up on Medicaid um, and have fewer options, again, you if we don't plan ahead. Um, so finding housing, financial resources, finding medical care. Our communities have higher rates of chronic illness um, starting at younger ages. So we're more likely to be living with disabilities um, and more likely to, to have our work life cut short because of that chronic illness and because of those disabilities. One statistic that I think is really, really poignant is a recent study found that LGBTQ people who live in areas of high stigma where it's not okay to be gay, they have 12 years taken off their life. Hmm. Their life expectancy on average is 12 years less than those of us who are able to live in areas of low stigma. So like in Chicago where you can find your community and kind of um, immerse yourself in a culture that is accepting of who you are. We live 12 years longer than our counterparts who may be just a few miles away in a different area of the city or in the, in the rural areas. Uh, so, and yeah. that's due... Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, you know, that, that's just like uh, astounding, you know, 12 years. Wow. It is. It absolutely is. And there's, there's a number of, of studies out there that talk about the experiences of older adults and LGBTQ folks because there's just such a lack of resources. And so part of my job is to find those resources, educate aging service providers about the needs of our community so that they are more ready for us and finding um, and creating resources that will better meet our needs. 80% um, of LGBTQ older adults go back in the closet when they go into a long-term care facility. And that's just heartbreaking, you know, mm -hmm. for, for members of our community who oftentimes have, have been waving the flag since the gay rights movement have to go back in the closet because now all of a sudden they're around, they're in a potentially dangerous environment with mm -hmm. peers who don't accept them. You know, I have met a couple, and in fact, I met a, a lesbian couple who, when everyone, they've been together like forever, and when everyone was getting married, they said, well, we have to wait, and I'm going, and you know, but they loved each other, and they said, well, we have to wait, because both of them had been married in a heterosexual relationship, but it was about social security, and if they married mm. too soon, what that would do to their income, and they had thought it out through that there was no way that, you know, that they could blow that by getting married. And that was yep. just like, wow. Yeah, but it's I mean, absolutely true. It's absolutely uh -huh. true. The median, the, um, median unemployment rate uh, for, for heterosexual households was like 9%, 9, um, was like 4%, and then for two women households it was like 9%. So it, we're sort of in double, you know, doubling the national average in terms of unemployment and um, earning power. You know, I mean, there's so many things particularly that, I mean, that you see, because I know when my father towards the end was in a nursing home, and I walked past 
this person. And I, every time I looked at this lady, I said, I know her. I know her. And she had lived very openly a very butch life, you know, completely. Mm-hmm. She was, what is it, masculine identified. And here, now that she was in this nursing home, I, when you said that back in the closet, it made me think of it. Because here she was in a dress and, you know, mm. didn't want to make eye contact. And all of a sudden it hit me. She's back in the closet. What's being, yep. I mean, what do you find that not only as you're, because you're thinking of this care plan and you're doing that, do you find the need to have a voice to advocate on behalf of housing for LGBTQ people as we age because of this? Absolutely. Absolutely, because my niche and the the people I serve are by and large LGBTQ identified and I can't put someone in a place where they haven't had training or where my clients are potentially at risk. So I have to advocate and I, I learned that early on. I, I didn't know what to expect when I started the business um, and I actually had a lot of people telling me that you know organizations would not be open to to the work that I do because you know, because of stigma. But by and large, I think because I'm a business and not a nonprofit, it gives me a different uh, level of bargaining at the bargaining table. So if I'm, if I'm talking with the admissions counselor at a, at a nursing home, I can say, you know, my, I can't send my client here unless you've had training and unless you promise me this, 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 and this, that if there is an incident, you have a protocol for how to handle it. If my client is, you know, is bringing in their spouse or their friends, that they won't be ostracized. And if there is any conflict, that there's going to be a protocol. Um, because many places will say, well, we're welcoming, and yes, everyone's welcome here. But that's not the actual experience on the ground. You know, it's the CNAs, it's the housekeeping staff, it's the receptionists. It's the billing office. It's everybody else you work with um, that has to be that has to have had some experience um, or at least training around working with LGBTQ communities. Wow, wow, that is that is just you know remarkable. But we know, I mean, and and that's the part I think that that we don't talk a lot about because, like you said, like I was telling you, when marriage comes, everyone, oh, marriage is just great. Why wouldn't people get married? That's the reason Mm -hmm. why. Or the fact that you can end up in this case, and if you haven't planned, you know, you can end up going back into the closet and, you know, living these very, I mean, I can't imagine living a life out and then going back into the closet at a time when you feel most vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And isolated. You know, and that sort of gets back to the the point you raised before of many of us as we age are living alone and are feeling isolated. And that pre-planning, I really view as one of the best strategies that we can have to age successfully and to not be alone. It's crossing that bridge of, okay, these people are my friends or my family of choice and having those conversations about what that really means because otherwise they don't know. You know, if you think about your, your biological family and the fact that you showed up for your mom, if you think about your friends, you have probably have a handful of friends that you would want to show up for in that way, but if they haven't given you permission, if they haven't said, yes, I want you by the hospital, 
Yes, I want you to take me home after the hospital. Yes, I want you to advocate for me with the doctors and make sure that I'm receiving the best care possible. Then you don't always know if it's your place or not. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to violate someone's privacy. So that mm-hmm. pre-planning and bridging that gap and just telling your family of choice, yes, I will show up for you in this way, will you do the same for me? really, really decreases isolation and gives us a better leg to stand on in terms of of having a successful aging experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, Jacqueline, we're going to take our first break here. And um, I want to come back and talk to you a little bit more about about that. Um, You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. Today we're talking to the owner and founder of the CARE Plan about planning for aging and with our family. We will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back with Jacqueline Boyd, who is the owner, a long-time aging specialist. She has the care plan in Chicago. Jacqueline, how important, you know, especially everyone thinks, you know, we've come so far, yeah, but we see now that every day rights are being rolled back. If you're an uh, particularly, heaven forbid, you're, you're gay and an immigrant. I mean, but the, our rights are being rolled back. How important is it to have that paperwork to designate who is going to be part of your care team? It is perhaps the most basic and most important thing you can do to make sure that your wishes are carried out. And the reason for that is if you don't decide who you want to manage your health care or manage your property, estate, finances, if you're not able to, that leaves it up to either a doctor to decide who your health care proxy is and then they'll just assign who your next of kin is typically, um, or it leaves it up to a court. And either situation completely takes away your power and decision-making. So if you don't have that paperwork and goodness forbid something happens and you're not able to make decisions for yourself, someone is going to be assigned to you and you might not agree with that decision. And if you haven't had conversations with that person, then they really have, it's a shot in the dark as far as what you might, what your wishes were and they have no idea how to carry them out. Now, particularly, I mean, and it goes both ways, whether you're 
when you're LGBTQ, sometimes you are that person who's taking care of, and sometimes you're the person who needs to be taken care of. But your biological family might not be as, you know, they're opening and welcoming up until that point. Like you see how many, Mm -hmm. how often do you see how uh, a trans woman or trans man will be misgendered or when they're no longer able to care for themselves that this, this family steps in and then they do whatever. Um, If you have these in paperwork in hand and you're taking care of all of this, it can't be, can it be reversed? Or I mean, are you, if, can you say that, okay, I know for a fact I've gotten this, this, this to say how I want to be cared for. If for some reason I can't make decisions that my biological family isn't going to be able to like just sort of rush in there and undo everything that I've done? The best thing you can do is invest in talking to an attorney and having an attorney execute your power, your, the POA is what it's called, your advanced directives, the power of attorney forms, because then you have the greatest chance of it remaining intact. No one else can revoke a power of attorney for you, but what a lot of people don't think about is if you, have, if you develop memory loss and all of a sudden your family's coming around or your niece and nephew is coming around, they're who you are used to seeing and that's who you might decide to make them your power of attorney. So, you, you know, they could ask you to sign a power of attorney. And I think a lot of your listeners are probably aware of financial abuse that can happen and elder abuse mm-hmm. that can happen. But I, I, oftentimes, you know, if we are the aunt or uncle without kids, other people in the bio, biological family may start showing up towards end of life. Um, And that's just an unfortunate reality. So making sure that you have a power of attorney and advanced directives that are executed by a lawyer is the best thing that you can do because then it's on file with the attorney, it's on file with you and your power of attorney, and it's been executed properly so that nobody can question it. So you had to learn a lot. I mean, mean, you you started like, (laughs) you you know, I mean, really – you had to learn a lot. I mean, I imagine like initially it was like you saw how these people were being treated. You had empathy. You wanted for the pain and the uncertainty. But it looks like you had to go back and learn an awful lot to do what you're doing. Yes, that's fair to say. <laughs> um, but I, I love it. And that's, you know, that's really the joy of being able to live your passion and purpose every day is that, You know, I started out when I was 18 in nursing homes, and I just loved being able to work with with older adults, with people who had been around for a long time, um, and who were were in vulnerable positions and received comfort from the from just companionship and quality care. And then working for a caregiving agency, I I had a number of positions in that agency, but learned how to support caregivers and the clients we served, whether they were at home, in a hospital, in a rehab, in assisted living, and everywhere in between. And so then there was, there was a gap. Um, when I started this company, I, lear- I still learn something new every day. Um, and that's the way it should be. But I think that is, also speaks to the benefit of having somebody who has, like myself, worked with over 1,000 older adults 
in helping them navigate the aging process. If you have trained your whole professional life in, in one area, say you're a, a legal secretary, I would not pretend to know how to do that job. And mm-hmm. just because a situation arises doesn't mean I'll be good at it. But for some reason, we expect that without training and without education and support, just because someone is a son or daughter or a close family member, family of choice, that all of a sudden they're equipped to do, you know, the after-surgery care, the bill paying and financial planning and assist mom or dad with a shower and, you know, all of these things that it's, you have to all of a sudden become a CNA and a geriatric social worker. And that's completely unreasonable, I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it's taken me 16 years to learn everything I know. And, and my job is to really make life easier for the, for the people I work with. But if, if folks are listening and are feeling overwhelmed, anxious, like they don't have enough information, please know that that is normal and you're not alone. <laughs> the system is not set up to really help you feel confident and like you're educated about what, how, how to proceed um, and find the best quality care for your loved one. But that's why I'm here. <laughs> You know, it sounds like, I mean, do you ever find that, like, sometimes when you walk into the situation, sometimes when you get called in, like you're doing, like you have to have a moment of just, like, listening, and then even, like, doing, like, a triage, like you said, you see the person who's, like, at their wit's end, and and to sort of say, okay, it's all right, you don't have to know everything. Do you find that, you know, that all of those skills that you had, even that empathy, that now you're doing, like, family for the whole family to help them through? Yes. Yes, on some days you are a therapist or a counselor. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. actually happened today. I had a, a, a person call who I spoke with a year ago, and we had had a very long conversation a year ago, and we were going to get started with services, but, but then he couldn't get his family to commit to a phone call. He called me today, and we talked for an hour and a half, and it just, it was like the whole year I could hear in his voice. And after mm-hmm. the end of the conversation, I said, you know, there is a path forward. You are doing the right things. Um, and, and we can absolutely address these issues from here. But it's, you know, he, he's been carrying that stress and anxiety for a year. So you absolutely sometimes just need to talk. I definitely, um, our process is very, I think, approachable. When people call in, I just try to get a sense for what's going on, let them talk and share really their priorities. I identify what their concerns are, and then we we discuss the next steps from there. Sometimes it's a family conversation. Sometimes it's an assessment of the, the loved one. Um, sometimes it's what I call a contingency plan, which is where maybe mom would, would never in a million years want to talk to me <laughs> or meet with me. Mm-hmm. But the people who are caring for her can get on a phone call and we can come together as a group and find those points of agreement. So yes, absolutely. Communication and support is a huge part of what we do. Do you, you know, do you ever find that there's someone who might come to you and you have to really help them recognize this web of support that they have who might come and say, I'm all by myself. You know, I have nobody. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That happens a lot, and I think, you know, part of, uh, again, the benefit of working with an advocate is you don't know what you don't know. 
So oftentimes during those consultations, I'm helping educate people on what's available. Like for example, I've worked with uh, veterans who have taken no advantage of, of the benefits of the VA, which can cover everything from medication to caregivers or for people who have long-term care insurance that they, they really didn't know how to use or what it was for. They just bought it because they thought it was a good investment. And I help them understand, well, this is what it's going to take to access this policy and use it. Um, or city programs. You know, we, we are one of the only organizations that I'm aware of that does care management that operates on sliding scale. So we have clients that are on Medicaid as well that need help with, you know, how do I find the best facility for me? Um, or find the resources that I need. So yes, absolutely. Mm. Do you ever, um, you know, there's something cool sometimes to me about being around our elders, you know, like there's those stories, there's those things that just sort of like make you feel that you're part of that continuation of history. Do you have any relationships that where maybe you started going into doing it, but but you and Nana just sort of clicked, <laughs> and and then you go back and check on them. Oh, for sure, for sure. One of my first clients, actually, when I started the business, um, I had met at at Howard Brown because I was giving a, a talk, and I met her daughter, and then we worked together for to get her a, a knee surgery she needed done and get her Medicaid coverage straightened out. And then after that, we just stayed in touch, and um, and so I, I still connect with them regularly, and and they're coming to the anniversary party, and <laughs> you kind of become family because you're just involved in such intimate parts of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think that that is just like amazing too. And I was, like I said, I went to your website and there's so many like basic things that that you talk about, about getting help, getting educated, taking regular time off. And the part that I really loved is like making time for fun with your loved one. Yeah, because like you said, you've got, they might have all these things going on, but sometimes just that sitting down and laughing and sharing the stories it's like I often tell people this is when you get to this point with your parent or your elder, it's such golden, precious time. And to find ways to savor those moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I really feel like it's even more important or just as important, I should say, for us to do that when, our, when we're caring for a spouse or for a partner. And I think in, in, as LGBTQ communities and, and our caregiving style, oftentimes we'll be taking care of our loved one for years and years and years. And over time you forget, or you, if you don't build in those, those moments as well, you lose some of that primary relationship. Like if we were best friends and partners and in love for 30 years and then somebody gets sick and they're sick for 10 years, that's a marathon. So making Mm -hmm. sure that you still have time to connect as partners, not just as a caregiver and, you know, somebody who needs care. Because that replenishes and refills the relationship, I think. Well, you know, once I was, um, in fact, I was at a creating change and we were, and we were, had this group and we were talking about it and, um, 
I was telling them I had worked with this couple and one of them was in a horrific accident, which really left her paralyzed, like from the chest down. But there would be a time when her partner would come in and there'd just be that way that they would, they would connect with each other and they would watch I forget what it was, some, some crazy, silly program that they had always watched. Like, and, and there was just like that moment when it wasn't like, oh, I'm in here to come and, and move you and do this and that. They were still connecting. And yes. it was just like, that was to me was like so beautiful, you know, that, that here they were able to have that connection, that, that just the way that one would, she would touch her partner on her face and you could, you could still feel that love. And like you said, mm-hmm. well, that long-term thing to forget that little bit, you know, that mm-hmm. little bit. No, it's just um, amazing to me. And I know that that's part of, I mean, and even before marriage, we've had couples who have been together many, many, many years. And that was love that made them stay there. You know, they didn't have that legal obligation. They didn't have to worry about divorce or whatever. It was just that, how do you keep that alive? And I think that that having that fun, uh, if it's like, I knew a couple who went fishing, you know, they, no yes. matter what condition, they still planned that, that fishing trip, even if all it meant was sitting there by the water, you know, where one of them was catching a fish and then showing the other one. You know, that's so important. And I thought that it was wonderful that you, in your, in your page, on your webpage, you talked about that, that making time for fun with your loved ones. Because even in the hard times, it can be something that can be fun and laughter and, and that's so important. Absolutely. I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I think, again, for your listeners who are caregivers currently, there's this oftentimes this feeling that you just are are depleted and frustrated, but you can't say anything or you can't create space for yourself. And if we are we are not at our best if we are tired and stressed out and snapping at the person we love and feeling like we're, we're not missing, we're not hitting the mark. So making sure that we do that, take time for ourselves, and also build in those date nights or those special times so that you can see your loved one as your loved one again and not mm-hmm. as, a, as just a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. story. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess it's how sometimes it's like a blessing. I mean, even when you see so many things, but then you see those moments and it sort of like reminds you of like what it's all about and to savor those moments, you know. Uh, so, yeah. mm-hmm. so we're going to take our second break. And then I want to two years coming up. Woohoo! Congratulations. <laughs> so we will be right back with Collections by Michelle Brown and my very special guest, Jacqueline Boyd of The Care Plan. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. 
be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back with Jacqueline Boyd. You had this vision. I mean, you, you've done the work. You decided to start a company, and we all know how that, that, isn't, that isn't an easy thing. You know, people say, oh, well, just go out and start your own business and do your own thing. And you were able to keep the things that you believed in there, the passion that you had for that. You're constantly learning. And now two years in. Wow. Now, did you have did you have moments where you went like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, what helped you stay the course and say, I'm going to do this? There's ups and downs, but I'm this is what I'm meant to do. Goodness, uh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know what really helped me was from the beginning. I had such a strong positive response from the community, you know, there was never a time and there has never been a time where it felt like this wasn't a need or that people didn't appreciate that we were doing something new. Um, and and I, I, I believe much of that is from my years of uh, being a, an activist within, within LGBTQ community here in Chicago. I've got a pretty wide network, but from the beginning, there was just so much excitement and support and love um, that came my way in response to to what we were putting out. Uh, that 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 really has always brought me back to center to say this is people need this. We're mm-hmm. offering hope and solution, and I know no one else in the country is doing it. So if it's not me, <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> so it it that always keeps me on course, but. It really is a personal passion. You know, I, I sort of have centered my life around care in different ways and, and thank goodness, um, make sure that I stay mentally healthy and take care of myself so that I have a strong base of, and platform to care for others with. Um, and that's, that's just always been a part of, of who I am. I think it probably helps that I'm a, an optimist as well, and I've just assume that I can do it <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that things will, will turn out okay with a little bit of, of um, strategy and, and consistency and elbow grease. Um, and so, you know, it's just, it's, it's such a blessing. And for anybody who is considering being an entrepreneur or starting your business, if it's something you're passionate about, it does not even feel like work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it has been a complete mind shift for me from working a nine-to-five or eight-to-five job to being able to have quality of life and really live every day in accordance with my purpose. Now, you know, now, like there's SAGE, and I know that SAGE is having, opening different chapters in different cities where they're dealing with, with aging for LGBTQ communities. I know that there's a couple of cities that are looking at building residences for uh, members of the LGBTQ community. From your, but like you said, as far as care management, you know, you were the game in town. 
do you see though that as as these things are coming up that will there be a place where people are coming to you and they're asking like what else do we do or is someone else sort of saying like well maybe on the west coast we need to try and do a care plan or become an affiliate or can you show us what to do for our community do you see other people doing what you're doing or recognizing the importance of doing what you're doing yeah, I think there's a recognition of the importance, and I've done a lot of speaking across the Midwest and will be um, have plans to spend more time on the coasts. Um, and I par- actually partner with SAGE. I'm glad that you brought them up because they are yeah. such a fantastic resource. They have 28 affiliate offices around the country. Um, so really anyone who's listening to your show should be in in a reasonable distance of being able to access or call a SAGE office for on-the-ground resources and support. Um, but no, I'm not seeing anybody doing what I'm doing. There's, I've, I've definitely seen a wave coming of LGBTQ competent therapists. That is fantastic to see. I think there's more LGBTQ business owners that are interested in working with older adults because many of them are aging themselves. You know, folks mm-hmm. in their 40s and 50s are seeing that there's a need and they want better than the unknown. Um, but I, I haven't seen anybody doing the work that I'm doing. Right now, I, I do a lot of partnerships. So I, I tend to come in as a, a consultant for LGBTQ organizations that want to better serve older adults. Because again, the, the, we are sort of seeing the first generations that are able to age out and and also long-term survivors of HIV and people who have you know, just have a certain type of life experience that really our LGBTQ centers and and organizations haven't haven't worked with older adults. So I come in as a consultant for those organizations, and then I also consult with traditional aging services to help them be more culturally competent for LGBTQ communities. So like nursing homes and hospitals and um, social work practices and things like that. So right now we're still, I'd say we're still unique, <laughs> and I think we always will be. You know, it, it, it's interesting because I listen to you talk, and I know who the people who you're doing it, and I imagine, like, do you ever have any of them, like, sort of give you the side eye when, when you say, well, I'm 34, and they're going, like, you know, honey, you know, <laughs> I'm twice your age, <laughs> or, 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 you know, you're telling me I need to do this, you know? You're just a baby. <laughs> but do you, do, you, do you ever find that, you know, that they're like, they sort of look at you like, when that comes out? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I, I tend to not share that initially because, you know, I think people, I, I, I sort of have an ambiguous age when people meet me, and that's, that's good when I'm working with older adults. But um, honestly, because, because I'm either working typically in LGBTQ communities or oftentimes in black communities, people are really excited to see a business owner that represents their identity. So I think being a, you know, a queer black um, female owner of a company, more often than not, people are just really excited to see that. And so, so I, I tend to get a lot of positive support again from my clients and, and and people, I haven't had too many side eyes. <laughs> <I've been lucky. laughs> yeah, I, 
I think you know, I think that it's so so great because you know I was at um, we had the Ruth Ellis Center here, and I was talking to this young woman. I mean, well, she's like maybe twenty late teens, and she was talking like you know things that she was passionate about, but she didn't know if she could ever, like, like she had to be waiting until, like, she was, like, I don't know how old before she could start a business. And like you said, I think that that's equally as important, not only what you're talking about people doing, but the fact that here you found your passion. You, you like you said, you started working at 18 and this, and you found your passion, and now you're making a business and you're going in spaces that, that other, I mean, that in and of itself is a story, you know, a separate story. But the part about finding your passion, the thing that you love and the thing that you're doing it in your niche that you found it and you're doing it. What? Okay, so you're getting ready to celebrate your second anniversary. What's the future? What do you see coming, you know, down the pike? Well, there's a lot coming down the pipeline, and I'm I'm so excited to be able to be on your show and share it. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that I post weekly videos on. So wherever your listeners are at, they can stay tuned on Thursdays for our videos, which are released on a weekly basis and cover a variety of topics. Um, so we, we put that out as education and support for, again, families and for caregivers who just who need who need easily digestible p- practical advice. Um, so we've mm-hmm. done everything from how to how to talk with stubborn parents to how to find a nursing home, understanding what hospice is, um, and uh, how to minimize isolation as an LGBTQ person. The topics are are really far ranging, but I think it's a great tool for for people who are caregiving or imagine that they, they may be in the future. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, and how do they find us, that? Do, do they go to like, is it under like the care plan? They, can, they can go to our, our, our website. Um, okay. On our website, there's definitely a link. But yes, the care plan is a, is a channel on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube mm-hmm. and look up the care plan aging, you should be able to find us. Uh, but the oh. easiest way is probably just through the website because it's on the first okay. page. Okay. That is so cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah. I mean, you see so many people who are, are saying like they're learning stuff through YouTube, and who would have thunk? You know. I mean, I'm I'm going to go look at it. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, and and that that's kind of cool too. It's like you're dealing with today's thing, but you're using technology, you're using social media, you're using all you know, you're using what's at hand to handle this, to give people information. Yes, so. yes. We are trying and I think that's the benefit actually of, you know, my being in my thirties and starting the business is that has always been important to me. I know that as a caregiver you are stressed out, you don't have much time reading a book or you know, going to a class is almost impossible, but a three-minute video, that's more feasible. <laughs> so um, the other thing that's coming out is I partnered with Sage on a, a care planning guide that is geared towards LGBTQ folks who are going through a medical procedure. So it's a, a care planning guide on how do you, how do you care plan for a medical procedure. Um, so that is, that is coming out very shortly. And it should be um, it should be available online in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it sounds like, you know, you are, uh, you would be in great demand for uh, people to talk about and to do training, uh, like you talked about the training that you go in and you do, do into um, nursing homes, assisted living. Um, do you see yourself doing more of that? I do. I would really like to uh, because it's so necessary. So I do provide, um, we're starting to do our own in-house trainings, and I actually mm-hmm. have a training coming up on December 1st uh, from 1 to 4 at Rush Hospital, um, and that's geared to, specifically towards social workers and counselors. Um, it's continuing education units, and it's three-hour training uh, preparing them for supporting clients going through surgery. Um, who are trans or gender nonconforming. So there will definitely be more trainings coming out this year, mm-hmm. which we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. Um, you know, I know that, I, I, and that's interesting that you're doing particularly for our trans community because many people, I mean, that they might be okay with the L, the G, and the B, but when you put that T up there, they just it's just like their head explodes, and it's like they don't know what to do. And I'm glad to hear that you have that component that's going to help with that because that's often the thing that, that you hear from many of our trans sisters and brothers. It's like when they have to go in for this, that people don't know what to do with them. They don't know what to handle this. They don't know, they don't know what to expect often they go in with a level of fear and concern because the care the people who's they're putting really their their life in these people's hands don't know about them exactly exactly and really whether or not you feel like contacting someone like myself is useful or helpful have someone be your advocate have someone as your in your family of choice be your medical advocate. Let them come to doctor's appointments with you. Let them know about what's going on with your health. You know, the more sort of shame and and fear we have around sharing and being vulnerable about our health, the, the harder it is for people to support us. So whether or not you think, oh, I'm going to pick up the phone and call Jackie, Call your friend and make sure that uh-huh. you're not in a doctor's appointment alone, that you're not going through a procedure by yourself. It's going to go so much more smoothly if you have support. So, Jackie, I mean, I really appreciate you being with us today. Can you tell us, okay, all the contact information for the care plan? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So the website is one of the best places to start if you have questions. It's www dot the dash care dash plan dot com. So www.thecareplan, just with two hyphens. And then our phone number is one eight seven seven six we plan. Eight seven seven six we plan. Um, and then you can find us on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, all with the, the handles the care plan. Mm-hmm. And are there, if someone, you know, because interestingly, I have people who listen from all over and in South America. I, I don't expect them to call oh, wonderful. you, but <laughs> if, um, <laughs> if someone from another, uh, another area outside of Chicago were to call, um, would you do a phone consultation to get them started or 
know, are you yeah. that accessible? Okay, awesome, awesome. Absolutely, I think yes. I've I've had clients from California to Virginia to Florida. So give me a call, and and a lot of what we do is is advocating over the phone or coaching. Um, mm-hmm. So we can we can at least advise you on the the best way to get your priorities accomplished. That's great. Well, Jacqueline, I want to thank you so much not only for being with me tonight, but for for what you do. I mean, I know that I wish that back in the day, you know, I wish that back in the day I had found you because um, it can be, I often tell people, it can be one of the most rewarding experiences taking care of an elder through their health needs all the way through their transition, but it can also be, one of the most challenging, it can be hard, it can beat you up, yeah. And um, and to know now that there is someone who you can call, you can talk to, who can help give you a plan, because just like there's no guidebook given to you when you have a baby, there's no parenthood guidebook, there's no guidebook for you as you're aging, but it's good to know that there's a resource. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. And I know this is a subject near and dear to your heart. Um, and I just really appreciate the work that you do and the comfort that you provide your listeners. Oh, well, thank you, Jacqueline. Well, I hope to see you. I'm not going to be able to make it there for the second anniversary, but I will be in Chicago soon, and I hope to to see you then. Thank you. Take good care. Okay. Well, you have a good night. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we've come to the end of another Collections by Michelle Brown. I want to thank my guest, Jacqueline Boyd of The Care Plan, for giving us a lot of really good information. This is that time of year when family and friends come together and to celebrate, but also to think about each other and think about maintaining a good quality of life, of friendship, of family as we go into our golden years, as they call them. Again, I want to thank my guest, Jacqueline Boyd. I want to thank you, my listening audience. You can follow the Collections by Michelle Brown podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. That's all for today. I hope you'll join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.